Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told them the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Now, we got a really big show coming up today. I'm going to discuss the He Said, She Said between Chemayev and Piera. We're also going to dive into the beef between Artem Lobev and Conor McGregor. And we're going to talk about the rumors going around against Aljo Sterling's next title fight. All of that and more on today's show. But let's begin here. 
Hey, help me out with something. Somewhere it appears that I'm missing something. As a matter of fact, and I'm not asking you guys to do all the legwork, I'm going to go on Ariel's show tomorrow. I have some questions for Ariel. Because I will tell you what annoys me. What, what will annoy me is when somebody tells me that I got it wrong. I mean, I, I will just tell you, like, there, there is a certain arrogance here. But there's nobody that you go for, there's nobody that you go to for advice in this sport if you can get to me. And I've had this happen and been stunned. I've been in vans. I've been at circles. I've been at lunch. I've been in social gatherings where people will bring up an idea about the sport. And then I will tell them what the right answer is. And I am dumbfounded when they offer something back. Truly. Now, I say that to you as a commentator, but I say that to you as a coach, but I say that to you as an analyst, but I say that to you as an athlete, but I say that to you as a promoter. And that's that's where the line gets drawn. If you are promoting events and you have found a way to stay afloat in this business, you are in a completely separate category of expertise about this business. That's not to shine my wheels up. That's the truth. And it really does, to an extent, surprise me more than it does bother me. It's, it surprises me. When somebody has access to my mind in the sport of MMA, and I offer an opinion, and then... They offer theirs, which is contrary to mine. I think, well, you must be one dumb son of a bitch. And I thought this for a really long time. The longest standing promoter of record in the United States of America is a man named Dana Frederick White. The second longest standing promoter is a man named Chael P. Sonnen. Now, there's been people that have come along. By no means do I put myself in front of a <clears throat> Scott Coker. By, by no means is that what I'm attempting to do for you. I will just talk about longevity, and I will just talk, talk to you about the people that came and went. Massive, massive events that aren't here anymore. From the Pride Fighting Champion Septa, was there something called Elite FC? The IFL, which I had great times with. Bodog Fight, more great times with. The WEC, which I was the champion of. I just shared with you, these were some really big organizations and not here anymore. And the two organizations that can date themselves back the furthest, which is to 2001. So when I offer an opinion coming from all sides of it, and I have to hear from somebody else, I will tell you, you sound like a fool. And I get corrected in my own comment section. Now, we're old Chael has worked against himself, right? Where Chael's chasing his tail a little bit is I can't pronounce the damn name right. Okay, I got Nurmagomedov. I had just mastered Zabit Magacharyapov. You try saying Magacharyapov. You know how many times I had to practice Magacharyapov? And then the twerp goes and he's like, gonna become a doctor and he quits the sport and I don't even have to say Magacharyapov? Do you know how hard that is? You think Stipe Miocic rolls off the tongue? These are not. Okay, these are tough names. Yuri Prohaska. You guys tease me for how I say Blahal Mohammed. I'm saying it the way you say it. Blahal Mohammed. I'm saying what you're saying. You tell me I've got it wrong. But because I have a hard time with names. 
because some of the enunciations are wrong. It like opens the door to Chael just putting things out there. I had to be told in my own YouTube section that Prohaska wasn't stripped. And I was told this time after time after time. Let me make this clear to you, okay? If I'm saying a name, don't bank on it. If I'm giving you a prediction, I am not giving you financial advice. If I tell you an inside of this sport and you hear somewhere else, including from the principal himself, you know what that term means, principal? I'm talking about Yuri Prohaska. He's the principal. I'm right. Just so you understand. There's marketing. There's things you say. There's media. There's being social. There's rewriting of history. There's the way you want the story to be. I don't do those. When I tell you he was stripped, just by example, I come and I tell you that Conor McGregor left USADA not because of a knee injury, but because of a whereabouts fight. When I do that, and I do it like this, well, you know, yeah, that's what I think. Why? I don't have a lot of information. We're just a couple of guys talking over here selling windows. That is a performance. If it comes out of my mouth and I put it to you, I have the power of an editing team. I will not put anything out fake. If I tell you a guy stripped, don't come back and correct me. And don't tell me, oh, Chell, I heard him say it himself. You Well, now you've heard him say it, and now you've heard me say it. So what are you going to do? Your lion eyes and your lion ears are one apiece. But I'm just here to tell you, I just, I really do want to correct this in the future. When you hear me say something, you hear it different somewhere else. You've got marketing out there. You have advertising. You have different arms. Who do you think writes history, by the way? The winners write history. History isn't some accurate depiction of what happened. It's the winner's version they want the future to believe that happened. When I tell you, I'm telling you the way it happened. That's real. That's, that's, that, that's between us. I have had to come over here in the spirit of integrity, and I have had to correct myself before. Well, I'll come in the next day and I'll go, hey, guys, by the way, I told you, and turns out that I, I have had to do that, and I will continue to do that. Do not correct me when you hear me say a detail. I mean, if you want to know how it happened, if, if that's what you care about, if you want to know how it happened, if you want to know where the bodies are buried, if you want to know how the sausage is made, give me another analogy. What do we got here? <laughs> if you want to know how the kite flies, I made that one up. Have you ever heard that? But you listen to me. I got to tell you, I don't like being corrected. And when you hear me say something, I'm not grabbing at straws. I, I have the smart marks over here. I'm the biggest audience I have here. So I come in and I do you a favor. This is what I do, is I get accurate information. Not the way it's going to be presented. Not the way it's going to be sold to you. Not the way it's going to be put on the t-shirt or the way it's going to be written in a magazine for later. I come and tell you the way that it actually happened. And you come out one after one and you tell me that he wasn't stripped. This isn't the hill that I want to die on, by the way. I'm giving you insight for the future. If you want to talk this, uh, chalk this up to an opinion paid a piece, if you want to chalk this up to entertainment, you go ahead. If you want to be the smartest guy in the room and you want to chalk it up to the one guy that will actually tell you because he's not scared to, you're welcome.
Okay, guys, I want to spend the next half hour or so diving into a combination of characters from UFC 281 and UFC 282. I also want to get into some drama involving Alex Piera and Hosmet Chemaya. Oh, <laughs> whose side do you take? We have two very different stories from two very dangerous guys. As a matter of fact, they damn near have the same record. Chemayev and Piera, top of my head, Piera's 5-0, top of my head, Chemayev 7-0. One's a champion of the world. One's predicted to be the champion of the world. Now, do you guys know what's going on here? Do you know exactly what I'm talking about? Now, this jumped off yesterday on Ariel. But let's back up. Let's back up to the night that Piera won the world championship. Okay? There was instant talk. Instant. There was even undertones, whether you caught them or not, within the announce booth between Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier and John Anik of Pierre and Chimaya. The, the undertone was of, of Pierre with a dominant grappler. But the moment that that fight was done, and I do mean the moment that fight was done, I don't mean once it was announced and the program was done, Chimaev took to the internet. And one thing about Chimaev is we know he's not kidding. But that's relevant. It really is relevant. I, like, I appreciate that sincerity. And you want to know how we know he's not kidding? Because he doesn't say the same thing every time. One thing when Connor was very early into the gimmick, I had a critique of the gimmick, and it was advice that I gave to Connor that he did not take. And that's okay, but I'll just share the advice with you, which Connor wanted everybody. Connor came in and he was a Stone Cold Steve Austin type. If you guys remember the Attitude Era, you know what I mean. Back then, it, there was good guys and there was bad guys. The bad guys hung out with the bad guys and the good guys hung out with the good guys. Two different locker rooms, two different hotels, different flights. Good guys and bad guys and they stay apart. But if you're a bad guy, then you're friends with the other bad guys. And the same thing with the good guys. And Stone Cold came in and flipped them both off. Stone Cold hated the good guys. He hated the bad guys, too. It had never been done. And when Connor came in, he went after everyone. He went after Jose Aldo, who really was kind of off limits. I mean, if you guys remember that time frame. He goes after 55-pounders. He ends up in, a, in an actual physical something with Uriah Faber. And Uriah Faber is MMA royalty. I mean, those two could have met up. They're close to the same size. I'm just sharing with you, you don't put your hands on Uriah Faber, and then Connor gets chest-to-chest -chest and wordy with Tyron Woodley when Tyron was the sitting world champion. Like, Connor, it was, it was everywhere. There was no allies. And I just thought that he should have one, otherwise it would take away from the sincerity. That was, that was just my offering. Now, I bring you that example because... When we know Chemayev isn't kidding, that, that's the only point that I'm trying to prove. When we know that Chemayev is sincere, one of the reasons we know is he doesn't say yes to everybody. He's not the way that Connor came through. He is not a Stone Cold Steve Austin. You will ask him about opponents and he will say no. He won't concede. 
He won't say, I think that guy can beat me. But somewhere, something, they must have crossed paths and they liked each other. Like, just a great example would be Whitaker. They asked Chemayev about Whitaker, which, by the way, is that's inter- that's a really interesting match. Chemayev versus Whitaker, Chemayev versus uh, Paulo Costa. I mean, those are really, really interesting matches. Really tough from X's and O's standpoints to break down. But they asked him about Whitaker, and he said, no, as a matter of fact, I like to train with Whitaker. And when Whitaker responded, it was out of left field. He was even surprised, and he accepted the training session. But there's been a number of times like that. Neil Magny called out Shemaev more times than I can count. There's a training video online right now, if you want to Google it, of Shemaev and Neil Magny in the practice room. So, I, I, I mean, I'm just sharing for you, when Chemayev says it, he means it. Including if he says, no, that's, that's not the guy I want. So Chemayev goes after Piera. He goes after him full steam. Chemayev continued to go after him. Now we're, now we're days later, okay? Now we're, we're multiple messages to the champ into this thing. DraftKings makes a line. DraftKings made a line and they favored Chemayev almost three to one. But now all of a sudden it feels like something. You're kind of going, hey, what are you know, what are you doing? The biggest sports book in the world, who's the official partner of the UFC, is making a line. Like this is a clue. There's a clue here. And then all of a sudden Chemayev comes out with the date. He's gonna fight him on the next pay-per-view. December 10th. And then we find out that they lost their main event and they lost their title. Like, things got really interesting. We're going, okay, we haven't been told anything, but behind the scenes, was there something done? We don't always have to know when a fight's made, right, guys? We don't have to know these two guys are... If they tried to make a fight, we think that's interesting. We want to know that that the organization was interested in doing a fight. Maybe we'll even go a step further. Why didn't it happen? Who blinked? But it's interesting. So Chemayev's got the bright idea. They're going to do it for the world championship. They're going to do it 185 pounds. Matter of fact, they're going to do it on December 10th. And I was very quick to depend to defend Piera against that challenge simply because Piera can't make weight. And that is that is no secret anywhere. First off, he's got the right absolutely to bask in the glow. Right? Everybody does, and it doesn't last long. And secondly, he just can't make weight. He's just a really big guy. I mean, December 10th means you're waiting on December 9th. I'm just offering that this was my defense of Pierre. That isn't going to happen, but it also took some of the wind out of my sails. Like, if that match is going to go down, if, if we're going to do this, and we're going to do this right away, we can't do it at 185 pounds. Took the wind out of my sails. No problem. Whatever. Maybe it happens all, every day. We're getting suggested something, right? Two days ago, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be... Jones and Ngano, and the day after that, it's going to be Jones versus Blades. And a week ago, Jones, I mean, you understand these things change really fast. Okay, great, but but then Pierre, hold on, because Pierre goes on Ariel's show. Now, I give you about three good minutes. Just, Just moments ago, I give you about three good minutes defending and offering evidence to my position that Chemayev is very sincere. That we can take Chemayev at his word. He doesn't play. You don't play with Chemayev. It's what it appears. Okay. I don't have those same three minutes on Piera. 
I don't know him well enough. I just don't know of him well enough. But I'll tell you this. He went on Ariel's show, and he said that he accepted a fight against Jemayev. Not he offered, not he was willing, not somebody suggested to him. He said he, he accepted a fight against Jemayev at 205 pounds. Are you paying attention to the details here? I'm throwing a lot at you. So now we're talking about a super fight. Because now the strap's not up. Now the point that I made when I defended Pierre, it shows how right I was. He, he, he's not going to get down to weight. He's just not going to do it. He's not going to do it that fast. But he will fight that fast. And if this guy wants a piece and this guy's coming up anyway, come all the way up. We'll do it at 205. There'll be nothing on the line, but we'll settle this. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. This is how tough guys handle business. This is how the actual tough guys handle business. They handle it by handling it. Yes, we are in the fight business. Let's fight. Forget about the belts. Forget about the weight class. We'll go up to 205 pounds. And I just got to tell you, this is very interesting. And Piera puts this out, but he goes a step further. He said Chemayev turned it down. Right? He said Chemayev turned it down. Chemayev lost his mind. Chemayev does not want word on the street that he turned a fight down. And I just go back to my initial question that I asked you 19 minutes and 12 seconds ago, which is, who do you believe? Because both stories can't be true. And while both stories can't be true, there is room for nobody lied. There is a case for nobody lied because you have massive language barriers, you have massive misunderstandings, and if Piera represented to Ariel, thus to us, information that he believed to be true... And Chemayev is coming out and representing information through Twitter to the world that he believes to be true. Neither one of them lie, but 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 I, I feel as though you guys might have missed the concept. Can I condescend to you? It's not if Chemayev turned it down to start with. Did the organization offer it? Now, if the house was on fire. Dana would make decisions that perhaps he would not normally make. Everybody could understand that. But for Dana to put on a super fight that is nothing more than that, a super fight, would be a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I, I could just offer you historical reasons where Dana would get this match together and he would get it going. And you know what? You even got a date of December 10th. For the 185-pound championship, it would it's very un-esque if Dana was to make that fight at 205 pounds. Doesn't, doesn't mean he wasn't going to do it. I, I, I would just share for you that I think perhaps Piera had an idea, took it to the table, it didn't happen, and therefore he believes that Jemaya turned it down. It doesn't really matter because, guys, what if? I'm not asking you who'd win. Forget that. We're in a whole different story. If we're going to fight Chemayev versus Pierre, we're going to do it at 205 pounds. We're in a whole different story. We're not doing X's and O's. Make a goddamn bit of difference. There is no championship. There is no contendership. There is nothing on the line. There is a straight-up street fight. You have the, the, the Chechenian gangster taking on, I mean, what do you want to call Piera? 
He's a native. He's an indigenous. He comes out. He shows a representation. See him all dressed up in that tribal gear? It was awesome. It was awesome. And if those two dudes were going to fight at 205 pounds, you're not talking about rankings. You're not talking about anything other than a personal beef. We don't get those very often. We don't get those on short notice. The house would have been on fire. My prediction for you is there is a misunderstanding. I don't believe the UFC was ever going to make that fight. However, it sounds as though Piera would have done the fight. sounds as though he said yes. And it sounds as though Jemayev accepted, or would have. But I want you to think about this question. I want to know which one you believe. But I want to ask you a real... Okay, don't miss the 205. They fight at 185. We know what they're fighting for. We know what they're fighting for. We probably could take the story a little bit further, which is winner draws right into, right? We could, we could probably figure this out really quick. Give a good look at Adesanya, see if he's ready. Give a good look at Whitaker versus Paulo Costa outcome. Like, we start to have some real moving parts, but if they're fighting at 205 pounds, they're just fighting because they're pissed off. These two have never even met each other. I don't believe that Jemayev called out Pierre because he doesn't. He got some problem with Pierre. I think that he saw him and think, hey, I can take this guy down and go win a world championship. That's what I think. But you can work yourself into a shoot real fast. You go out there, you go after a guy for, for above board competitive reasons, and all of a sudden he doesn't flinch. When you're used to guys flinch, all of a sudden it gets really weird and, and, and the reasons change really fast. If they did that at 205 pounds and there was no championship on the line, that is as close to a street fight as you're ever going to see booked inside of that octagon. And I want to know, do you want to see it? thousand 2008 2022 when it comes to the economy those are some scary and i mean scary years dot-com crash housing crash and the roller coaster we're going through right now but one thing is certain it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers but over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and the clarity they need because they rely on netsuite by oracle the number one cloud financial system guys I lived through those tough times. They were awful. I know I have a lot of business owners and leaders listening right now. Guys, I can't recommend NetSuite enough to help you prepare for the unknown. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for right now? NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind special financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Chael right now. NetSuite.com slash Chael. That's NetSuite.com slash Chael. Piera goes on Ariel's show, and Piera has my interest. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I think that Izzy Adesanya is the trifecta. I think any athlete coming into the sport that wants to study the sport and understand the business side of the sport, which is the entertainment side of the sport and making people care about you, has got to study Adesanya. 
I'll only share for you that Piera, for what it's worth, is doing his end of this. There's a language barrier, so it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more difficult. And sometimes you got to go to social media where I think it goes through like Google Translate. It comes out perfectly clear. The guy's interesting. He hasn't missed yet. I have not seen him miss yet. He is an indigenous native of Brazil. Now, I bring that to you. Fabiano Scherner, my coach. Very good friends with Glover to share. And Fabiano had just spoke with Glover, and Glover just sang his praises privately, the same as he does publicly, which he says, Look, man, this guy's very good. People know about his kickboxing, they don't know about his grappling, they don't know about his conditioning. Man, let me just vouch for this guy. No, that's very big praise coming from Glover. And Fabiano, who's from Sao Paulo, I believe, if that's not his hometown, I apologize, but was sharing with me about the indigenous and native roots and what that means to Pierre because Pierre had come out in what's called full dress. It's called native dress. If you guys saw this, he he had the headband, but he also had the war paint. And he's paid tribute in the past, and we've even seen it on social media, to archery. And it's an interesting thing. I've gotten more into Prohaska in the last week than I ever thought I, I would go down. The way that Prohaska handled defeat, it was defeat to an injury, but it was a negative. It was a loss. It was adversity. The way that Prohaska handled that, representing what he did when things were easy, which was the samurai spirit. That's his big thing, right? The samurai spirit. But the samurai spirit doesn't give up when things get tough, and most guys do, and he did not. And understanding what's deep and within his roots, Prohaska, you know, he's in, he, 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 does, the, he does the sitting, and he, you know, there's like smoke and meditation. He, do, he does this whole bit. But it turns out it's not a show. That is who he is channeled, and that's who his inner being is. And I only bring that to you because when Piera starts to do this with the indigenous native roots, and he's, he's even, not only with the, the dress that he wanted to pay tribute to, not only with the style, and this is who he wanted uh, to bring the belt back and win it for, but also with some of the archery skills and other stuff. I just think that that stuff's interesting, because why are you fighting is a very big deal. And when you talk about samurais and you talk about uh, the indigenous natives of uh, Brazil, there used to be a time, guys, when you needed to have a good fighter amongst you. Back before there was nations, back before there was states, back before there were cities, back before there was villages, you had tribes. And if somebody came to your tribe, you could lose land and you could lose life. You needed to have somebody amongst you who can fight. There was very real things that you had to fight for. Well, over time, comes the 1800s, and now this fighting business is going to be a sport. We're going to get a ring, and we're going to do some ropes, and we'll put two guys in there without their shirts on, and we're going to come up with some rules. But after we come up with the rules, and after we get the audience interested, we have to know what they're fighting for. And they're not fighting for life. They're not fighting for land. So what are they fighting for? Prestige and a little bit of money? It's not enough. And somebody comes out with a belt. There's a belt. There's a champion who will be recognized amongst all of you, and there will only be one. They throw the belt down. You get guys like me to give their whole life to try to get that. 
it worked, right? It worked. Whoever came up with the belt, it's an amazing concept of how far it went. Whoever thought to do a gold, silver, and bronze at the Olympiad, you have people giving up their entire life. Not just their, not just their life until they get it. Their life then after. They're either completely de depressed drunks who didn't reach their goal and will tell you about 1980 that was boycotted, or they had a level of success and all they want to do is tell you about 1984 in Los Angeles, how it didn't matter the Russians game. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. It's, it's one of these things that never ends. And so when you do find out, you got a guy that, that is <clears throat> channeling Samurai, then you go find out about the Samurai code, and then you watch him. You go, son of a bitch, he's living it. He's not just preaching. This guy's living it. You're a pro Hoska's the real deal. And then you look to Piera. And he's living it. I went back last night. Because Piera and Chemayev get into whatever they get into. I go back and I watch Piera and Adesanya. And I am not done over here discussing on a routine and regular basis Adesanya and Pierre because Adesanya and Pierre aren't done fighting. They're not even done fighting for championships. Those two are going to meet again. And by goodness, if Adesanya beats them, they're probably going to meet yet again. All right. So I go back and watch the fight, and it's a very peculiar match. Like, I, I could explain to you Israel Adesanya. I can't do it. I can't do what he does. I can't do those setups. I can't do those movements, but I understand them. I understand them very well because Anderson Silva did a very close version to them. Anderson Silva would get accused of being cocky in his fights or disrespecting his opponents. I don't know if anybody studied Anderson more than me. That just wasn't the case. Those were his setups. Those were his setups. Tommy Hearns, remember Tommy Hearns? Tommy Hearns could throw that shoulder over. Whoa, spook you, boom, boom, and get his shots in. Every fighter throws some kind of a flinch. Machida turns his hips. Maybe you saw Kayla Harrison over the weekend. She's doing the Machida, turning your hips. But it makes your opponent look, whoa, what's the way? What are they doing? Just a little bit of surprise factor. And Adesanya will go out there and do that even in robotics sometime. Boom, boom, before he comes in. Hey, do you remember when Connor did this to Eddie Alvarez? He just puts his hands behind his back. As cool as it looked when Connor did it, he, he wasn't actually attempting to embarrass his opponent. It was a setup. It was a risky one because his hands are down. But his hands come before. This wasn't just to do. He brought those hands back, boom, boom, with a one, two, and put him down. But you have to understand that. Now, I do understand Adesanya, even though I don't have the mannerisms to show you it. I understand why it works. I understand why he's setting you up. I understand why Adesanya was able to touch Piera and not get touched back. What I don't fully understand is how Pierre was able to touch Adesanya. I didn't see a speed difference, but I also didn't see meaningful tricks, meaningful setups. When in the business, you'll hear announcers calling feints. I didn't see those from Pierre. I damn near saw him walking Izzy down. In the fifth and final round, he did walk him down. The end.
He came across his court. One of the reasons is he couldn't move is he had a fence behind him. One of the reasons is he had a fence behind him is because Pierre walked him down. How do you walk out of Sonia down? Can't get a hand on him. I mean, you just can't. How many fights have you seen where Adesanya hadn't been hit? And he goes 5-0. He's never rocked. He was never wobbled. He's on his feet the whole time. Who else can go on their feet for 25 minutes with the next best guy in the world and not be wobbled? Nobody. It doesn't happen. He did fight after fight after fight, round after round after round. How did Pierre hit him? Pierre has got very good height. He's got very good size. He's taller than Izzy. I know that they do a tail of the teep. I didn't see it. Generally, whoever's taller has the longer reach. Okay, great. Is that part of it? I'll drink to that. Pierre also does what's called punches and bunches. He does, he, he, there was no stick and move. There was no, I'm looking for that one big one. No, I was looking for a little one. I was looking for a medium one. And then I'm looking for a big one. Everything was punches and bunches, but he still walked him down. He still didn't set him up. He still got the most elusive guy in the history of the sport, I believe. And many people will give that credit to Anderson Silva. I, 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 in the history of the sport, I don't think you've seen anybody more elusive than Adesanya. If you'll remember the great Robert Whitaker after the first time they fought, Robert Whitaker is always candid. He always just comes out and tells you what happened. He said that's what happened. I couldn't see him. I couldn't see him. He set me up left. He comes right and a punch is coming down the middle. Fed was front. I mean, he really had to, he really had to regroup and re-gear to have a different performance in the second outing. I get it. Whitaker told the truth. Well, how did Pierre hit him? I appreciate the power, but you're, you're born with a level of that. I appreciate the range. You work on that in the gym and it comes along pretty quickly. How do you hit him? How's he coming out in three beats and all three are landing when other guys can't get three off in a five-minute period, and they're the second-best guy in the world. They're number one contender. I mean, it's just a question. I don't, ha I don't have the answer. I understand what Adesanya's doing, even though I can't mimic it. I can do what Pierre is doing. I feel. I mean, I, I, I understand, right? I understand jab, cross, hook. I understand roll your shot. I, I understand all of these things. I don't quite have the height. I don't quite have the reach, but I'm sure I understand, but I don't know how he did it. How is he touching? How is he touching? Forget about the knockout. You got, you got big power and you hit the guy in the chin. You knock the guy out. How do he touch him? How do he get his hands on him? What was the setup? I watched that fifth round and then I watched it again and I watched it again. What was the setup? There was a guy that broke Chuck Liddell down when Chuck was knocking everybody out. The guy said, I could deal with Chuck. He's a pro wrestler named Mark Marrow, but he was a golden gloves boxer or something to this degree. I mean, he was just having fun. He wasn't really getting ready to fight Chuck, but he understood boxing. He said, you know what? I think I could deal with Chuck Liddell. So, because I noticed what Chuck does, and everybody has a tell. Everybody has a poker hand, believe me. And the guy said, before Chuck throws that big, I guess it'd be this way, that big overhand right. Before he does it every time, he blanks. Nobody had noticed it before. We went back, we watched video, son of a gun. Mark Marrow of the WCW had it right. Before Chuck would throw that big shot, he did a blink. Everybody's doing something. How is Piera hitting him? Errol 
one, he asked me a very direct question, and he asked me, was Glover Teixeira screwed? Exact words that Ariel used. I said no. Ariel took issue with me saying no. And he was almost presented as though I was being a company man following along with the UFC. Now, I don't get accused of that very often, but I have heard those terms, and I don't like it. I think you could see why. But but I don't like being accused that anybody influences the way that I speak. I You could see where that would be annoying, particularly to somebody like me. Okay. But I want to break that down for just a second here. And my response to Ariel, I thought was very measured. I thought it was very logical. And what I had said to Ariel was... First, I defended Glover. I said there was three guys. There was three guys for Glover to fight. The one that he said he would fight is the one that said he would fight him was Prohaska, and Glover was willing to go through with that. Same date, same guy, same rules, same everything. Glover never flinched. When that came off the board between the other two guys, Glover was willing to fight one on the same date, same rules, same amount of time, same everything. Glover did not flinch. But it was the third guy is who was being proposed to him. Now, Glover said yes to that guy as well, just not the same date. Agreed to the rules, agreed to everything. Now, I think two of the three, I think that Glover was what we call reasonable. And generally, when you're reasonable, good things happen to you, particularly in the sport. So, but was he screwed? Well, time out. Glover was going to fight for a championship. Glover was going to be in a main event. Glover was going to have a, the media and some of the joys and a lot of the attention that comes from you guys, right? I mean, there's some built-in things that you can't put into a contract that are all a byproduct of said contract. I don't know that those things aren't still happening. I've, I've got to offer that. And it's what I offered to Ariel. I don't know that Glover's next fight, which was supposed to be for a championship, I don't know that his next fight isn't for a championship. Glover was supposed to fight Prohaska in a rematch. I don't know that in Glover's next fight, it's not going to be against Prohaska in a rematch. I mean, I don't know how close we can get you back. Once we call something off, how close can we go out to reproduce it? If you keep a guy in a main event, you... You got part of it right. If you keep him number one contender in his next fight's for a belt, it seems like that's what he wants. That was what was promised. It was a rematch. It was with Prohaska. So if we're going to do everything that we can to satisfy what our agreement was to you, and then Prohaska, the poor guy, he's, he's got this hurt shoulder. I don't know where Glover got screwed. I mean, that's very strong language. Disappointed in a change and a shuffle of the deck. I mean, right? It's it's, it's one of these really hard spots. <clears throat> I had been this white knight one time in my career. It was called UFC 151. And Dan Henderson versus John Jones. And eight days before bell time, Dan has to pull out of the fight. He might have also had a shoulder. I think it was his shoulder. Has to pull out of the fight. John Jones is left without an opponent. We got a building full of people. We got a camera crew coming in. We got an audience. What do you do? You find somebody to fight John Jones. Insert Chael Sonnen. John Jones then says, no. No. He's a southpaw. This isn't short notice. He's known. He and Dan are friends, and he is known. It's short notice for me. It's not for him, and the fight doesn't go on. And guess who took the blame for that? John Jones. Is that fair? 
I don't want to put it on Dan. I would always defend Dan. This is my friend and my teammate. If you're to look at that equation of who changed the deal for what it was going to be, it was Dan. It was outside of his control and it was an injury, but Dan, Dan never took a bump. He never took a question. He never took anything. John took the weight for it all. Now, I'm going to be John's opponent so I don't come out and defend him at this time. This was very big at the time. This might sound small to you. that At the time, this was a really big deal, and John, John was the skunk at the garden party. John is the one that ruined everything. If you looked at that a little bit more objective, John had agreed to something of which John continued to agree with. John said he was going to go through with something of which John was willing to go through with. John never flinched. John never changed anything. It got changed on John. It's just not generally how we look at a situation. So in a, in a case like this, did Glover get screwed? Okay, if you're on the side that yes, he did, who screwed him? And before you answer that question, there's three people that it takes to make a fight. Glover was willing to go through with it. The third entity that you need never flinched, never changed anything. They were going through with it. And then you have Prohaska, who is the one who changed it. Now, of course, we wouldn't blame Prohaska. He's hurt. He's injured. He also took a bump here. But in our attempt to be nice and to be gracious and to have, to have a good heart towards an injured athlete, we also still have that same energy of something went wrong and we have to place it. We can't put it on Glover. We don't want to put it on the hurt guy. We choose the third entity. But it does matter if you trace anything back in life, right? The timeline matters. And where the genesis, where the whole thing germinated, what was the genesis? That's the most important thing. Where did this all come from? Where, where does Glover losing his main event, his placement on the card, his world title opportunity and his rematch against Prohaska? It wasn't the third entity, and it wasn't Glover. And we don't want to finish the thought. We don't want to say that it was the hurt guy who just got you. We don't want to do that. So we find somewhere else to blame. And I mean, I just got to stand by it. That's what I'm, I'm here to tell you. No, I don't think that Glover was screwed. And I can't even go as far as to say that Glover's not in the same position that he was. Now, I, I don't know that I'm predicting that for you. I don't know that Glover's going to be the number one contender. I don't know that Glover is taking on the winner of this fight. I think that 205 pounds has a massive problem. We just haven't identified what the problem is. Is the problem Jan Blahovich? Is the problem Ankalaev? We don't know yet. But if you wake up on Monday morning after this contest and Uncle Ives, the champion of the world, and you sit back and go, what in the hell am I going to do with this? It's a fair question. If you got to wake up on Monday morning and say, oh, Blahovich, we already went down this road and now we're back at it. What in the hell am I going to do with this? It's a fair question. It's not those guys' fault. Those guys are doing their job. Those guys are skilled and they're awesome. For sure. The interest for what they're going to do next and who they're going to do it against is a pile of interchangeable mediocrities. What difference does it, I'm going to, this, this is the guy for all of these arguments. Stop, don't even make the argument. Just put him in. Well, no, I got this other guy. With, then, then put him in. It's just, it's interchangeable and it doesn't make any bit of difference. And that's on you guys. 100% that's on you guys. And maybe they didn't go first and they didn't do their part in making you interested. Either way, that's on you. You're not interested. 
So if I was to predict what's going to happen, I know that I got a steaming pile over here, but I'm up against the clock and I'm going with the steaming pile and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it bad. This is going to, I don't know how bad it's going to be, but it's for, it's for sure going into the red. I'll do it, but that's not sustainable. And I know it's not sustainable. So I'll do it, but I won't do it twice, which means I have a plan for what's next. I think Alex Pierre is the plan. One guy talking. One guy talking with very limited information, perhaps no information. But I know one of the problems that Glover had, and I mean this extremely respectfully, one of the big problems that Glover had was steaming up an interest, and an interest comes through the form of a demand. He never made it. He never demanded that rematch. He never demanded Prohaska. He never demanded that he fight for a world championship. He never demanded anything. And his way of being polite served that. He is coming across as very polite. Not making a demand is going to keep you in the same spot of the interchangeable mediocrity. So, I mean, I'm just sharing for He didn't make a demand that he gets the winner of this fight. He didn't get a demand that he remain number one contender. He didn't make a demand that when Prohaska come back, when and if that ever is, I get my rematch. He did not make a demand on anything. And at this point, I don't know what he wants to do. Does he want to fight for a world championship? Or did he want to get the rematch. What one was more important to him? I have to know that. I have to know if I'm going to care that you care. And if I'm going to care the most, I got to know what you care about the most. I still don't know. I don't know. I would assume it's a championship. I would assume that. But I also know if you're beating a guy and there was only 30 ticks left on the clock and you could get that one back, it'd be a big driver too. There's been no demands made. There's been no suggestions made. There's been no requests made. I can't just put this on Glover. The only one with an understanding to do this in the entire division is a poor guy that's injured named Anthony Smith, who's just not in a spot to start going out and raising Kane anywhere until he gets back to sparring at 100%. I, I mean, I just share it with you. As, as I look at 205 pounds, I look at this division. I, I look at, I guess we're calling it a main event. I don't know. I mean, it's the fight that goes on last. I mean, it, could, it should quite literally be renamed that when UFC 282 rolls around. Bruce Buffer should not come out and say, and now the time you've all been waiting for, the main event of the evening. He should, he should come out and say, guys, it's 9.28 p.m., and this is the last fight of the night. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those positions. I mean, you think this is a problem, that, th- that this is your main event, which you've done everything you can to not have it? You, you think that's a problem? Try waking up the next day, and one of those two guys is going to return to your main event. Whenever and wherever that is, I've got a 100% problem. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to have 50%. That's a lot of problem. How am I going to change it? How am I going to fix it? I expect history to repeat itself, which is the boys will regulate themselves. This will start to sort itself out. Somebody will take to the media and somebody will raise their claim and somebody else will see that claim. And now I'll have two guys that I get to choose from instead of one. And if a third or a fourth jumps in the mix, now I've got three or four guys that get to battle this out. The way the sport's done, but at this point, nobody's made the demand. Nobody's made the claim. I think Alex Pierre is going up 205 pounds. I think the winner of Blahovich versus Uncle Ayev is going to fight 
Alex, if I'm right, I just gave you the first reason anyone's ever given you for watching Blahovich versus Uncle Live. We spent much of today's show talking about the drama in the UFC, and there's certainly no shortage of drama and storylines in Ireland right now because we got some beef going on between Conor McGregor and his ex-best friend, Artem Lobov. What's up, Uncle Chael? Hey, we need your take on this Conor McGregor-Artem feud that's going on. Who you got in the fight at SBG Gym? What do you think about it overall? And have you seen something like this happen before in your own gym where teammates challenge each other behind closed doors without the bright lights? I want to hear about it. All right, yeah, that's the topic going around, right? And I got to tell you, I know a little something about this now. When I say I know a little bit about it, I must tell you, I've got a good memory. I don't forget a lot of things. I'll impress my friends from a wrestling match they had when they were nine years old when I will tell them the score of that match. I just got a good memory for things that I have heard before, and this one stayed with me. Now, let's back up. Cara, Con Connor and Artem, very good friends. Very good friends to the extent, if you'll remember the night, that Conor McGregor premeditated an assault, and before he got to the assault, he had a hatchet plan to do something called trespass on the Barclays Center. I'm talking about the Dolly, I'm talking about the bus and Khabib and the windows breaking. That was all because the day before a video was released of Khabib slapping one of Conor's friends. Conor loaded up a, a jumbo jet in Ireland and flew in. He was so loyal to his friend who was slapped, that was Artem. Which, by the way, I don't love to tell a story like that. That's the way the story starts. I don't think Khabib slapped him. I think Khabib said hello to him. I think that Khabib used his hand and said hello. Some people do that, right? You, and you want to know what the difference is? It's not the contact. It's how long you leave the hand there. A slap, slap's instant, but the removal of the slap is instant. Khabib put his hand here, but he kept it there. He was looking him in the eye like he was trying to talk to him, like he grabbed him and was trying to talk to him. It's different, in my opinion. In my opinion, it is not a slap if it stays there, at any rate. That was Artem. So we just know Artem and Connor tight, right? Okay. Fast forward the tape. And this is going to take you to about a year ago. And when I, get, when I do this little about dance, I will tell you COVID has thrown me off. I can keep track of years because I follow college wrestling. But when the guys who are sophomores are sophomores again because of the way the rule... I mean, true, this could be two years ago is what I'm trying to tell you. But I still saw the article and I remember it perfectly. Now, I do need to add one thing for you, which is that I know Artem. And the rap that he got online is not who he is, even a tiny bit. Artem is an educated man in the form of economics. And I know that that is a bachelor's degree from an accredited university. It could be a master's degree. And this was a pretty smart guy. This is a multilingual guy, by the way. And his record is no reflection of his, because that used to drive me crazy. People would tease him. He was 15 and 14. Or he was 14 and 15, and people would tease him. You go look at the people he fought. 
including the matches he lost and how competitive those matches were. So I'm just sharing a, a little bit other uh, side of Artem. But when this came out, story went like this, and this is from Artem, and this is off of Chael's memory from at least a year ago. And Artem says that they were at the gym, straight blast. They were getting ready to do a training session. And Connor handed him something. And Artem put it in his bag and went out and did the training session. And later, which I picture to be like at home, he remembers the something Connor handed him. He goes and retrieves it. He opens it up. It's a check for a million dollars. So Artem says to Connor, why are you giving me a check for a million dollars? And Artem thought it had to do with MMA. Like Connor was getting ready for something and Artem was a good and loyal sparring partner and training partner. And Connor said, no, it's the, the whiskey thing. So the way this ties back, apparently, Artem told Connor, hey, you should get into the whiskey business. And I could only imagine how that conversation went because Connor got in and got in on it on the heels of George Clooney getting out and Clooney got out for like an internationally reported billion dollars. Something to do with alcohol. I don't know the difference between whiskeys and bourbons and some guy uses it to get drunk. So I can only imagine that it was something like that where Art probably saw literally the George Clooney thing and turned to Connor and said, hey man, we're in Ireland and Irish whiskey and you're the biggest face in Ireland. Why aren't you attaching yourself to this whiskey brand? Something along these lines and possibly not even to that extent of detail. It was not as though Artem laid out the term proper 12 Irish whiskey or laid out a supplier or laid out a recipe or a certain special hops and oats to make it. It wasn't like that. It was a light conversation, according to Artem, in the way he told it, hey, Connor, you should think about getting in the whiskey business. Great. Connor doesn't say a whole lot back. Connor leaves there, thinks about this for however much time, makes a phone call to Audie. Audie makes a phone call to someone else. Next thing you know, Connor's in the whiskey business. Well, next thing you know, the whiskey business is doing great. And the next thing you know, the whiskey business, just like George Clooney's, is sold. Goes to somebody else, and there's a whole jackpot full of money. And... Again, this is off of Chael's mind, and we could simply go to Google and do a search, and it, it would pop up with reported, I want to say $600 million. I want to say that's what Connor and Audie, who ended up being partners, and then worked the next guys in. I want to say $600 million overall. At any rate, when that was all done, Connor came and was like, hey, by the way, thanks, man. Artem didn't accept it. Artem said, no way. This is Artem speaking. Artem's version at the time of this report was no way. You're my friend. You help me. I help you. If I gave you an idea that was a good idea, chalk that against the ones I gave you that weren't great ideas, and off they go as friends. But Artem refused to take the money. Artem either went back to Connor and physically handed him the check, or he tore that damn thing up, and it was something like this. He did not take that money. And I remember seeing that story, and I really was impressed with both guys. One guy's opinion, right? Me, the reader of the article. I remember being so impressed with both guys. And then you follow that rule, put yourself in their shoes. Is that what you would have done? I like to believe, sincerely, if I was in Connor's shoes, that I would have done that. I do not, with sincerity, believe if I was in Artem's shoes, I would have done that. I mean, that was a big belief of my father. My father used to teach that to my sister. It's easy to give a gift. 
easy to give a gift. Sometimes it's hard to accept a gift. You have to know how to accept. If somebody gives you something, you know, you must know how to accept it. How to be gracious, to be appreciative, whether it's the gift you wanted or it's not. You, got, you, you must know how to accept a gift. And that's before you get to the side of greed. My goodness, a million dollars? Thank you, Connor. All right. But that's where tempers were back when this article came to my attention the first time in what I'm disclosing to be a year. All right. Well, that's not where we are anymore. Artemis said, hey, man, I gave you that idea. That germinated with me. None of this happened without me. I germinated this. I am the cause of it. And he's gone back and he's valued the cause of an idea to be worth 5%. And I trust, as Artem, being an intelligent guy, and I'm suspecting that somebody else threw their arms around him and helped to convince him of Connor's wrongdoing, also looked into it and thought the scheduled amount, should you get to a jury for the jurisdiction they're in, is 5%. So this is where we go. So he hasn't made a demand, at least not publicly, of, say, $30 million. I'm saying 5%. I'm also the one that's saying $600 million. But he wants 5% of whatever it was, and he's decided that's a lot more than a million dollars. Great. This is where we are. Now, from a legal standpoint, this does get complicated. It, it truly does get complicated because I think the majority of you are going to see it the exact same way I saw, which is, wow, Connor. That was, a, that was a cool move, man. That was a cool move to bring your buddy a million dollars. The attorneys of Artem can use that very check and they can put a very different interpretation, which is Connor knew legally he owes you something. And he also knows that you have three years to make that demand. So if he could come in and get you to accept a million dollars, He's getting you to admit and accept that you were owed a million dollars. That is one way that somebody could look at the check. Now, Connor's team could come in very quickly and say, wait just a sec, forget about your 5%. We had a bargain. We had a straight up bargain of a million dollars and my client paid in full or at least he tried to, right? Like that, that check that was written is going to be one of the most massive pieces of evidence, and you're going to have two different opinions about that check. And that ultimately is what you're going to take before the 12 people not smart enough to get out of jury duty. Was that check meant to be a very ungenerous payoff, or was that check meant to be a payment in full based on a verbal bargain of no witnesses and no writing that two people had? It's an interesting question. So how does Connor respond to this? Does he calmly say anything that I just said now? Nope. Connor publicly went out and tweeted and told Artem to meet me at Straight Blast Gym. We're going to fight it out tonight. We're going to fight for that whole damn lot of it. Every penny you think you're owed is on the line. Just come down here and win this fight. But on the other side of it, if I whip your ass, don't ever bring this up again. Connor does this public. Now, I told you I was going to go to YouTube and I was going to go live. I was trying to get a feed. I got friends out there and I was trying to get somebody to come and give that to me. Which, by the way, would have been worth a million dollars. And by the way, I would not have given it to them. I would have done them a favor down the line. So which one am I? Am I Connor or am I Artem, right? I mean, it's just one of those situations. I don't want it to happen. I really don't want it to happen. 
And there's some extremely tough spots and there's some extremely glossing over by me because I wasn't there. I have no way to know the actual detail. In my mind, right, the way I told you the story, these are two guys getting ready to spar and, and Artem just mentions this. You should get the whiskey business, right? That In my mind. What if it was more in-depth? What if it was more? What if he did say, hey, by the way, and that's really important to do is to throw that in there. Hey, by the way, and I want 10%. I've had people do that to me. And, and every time they do it, they, it's like a text message and they put in like the LOL or they put the laughing emoji. But either way, it's been done. I see, I appreciate it. And I do not do that. I do not then take that idea because I do feel whether you did it with the laughing emoji or not, you want 10%, but I know that you really don't because most of the ideas that I get that I do act on, most of them, I don't come bring them to you guys, but they, they go the other way. They don't work. And I know if I bring that person in an invoice for the 10% of what I lost, take you there, right? It's one of those things, but I, you, you kind of got to honor this code. You guys know Robert De Niro? I'll bring in this one story, but Robert De Niro gets a bad rap from people around Hollywood that see him. And he gets a bad rap because if he goes to a restaurant, he has a person with him. If he goes to a restaurant and the waiter says, would you like some water, sir? De Niro talks to the person. The person then tells the waiter, yes. Or the person tells him no. And that goes on all night long. How do you want your steak? And he has this conversation. Why? I mean, it sounds rude. It sounds like he's a little elitist prick that thinks he's better. No, you want to know what that is? Somebody went up to De Niro one time and gave him an idea. He didn't want it. He wasn't soliciting it. He, he didn't want to hear from this, but this person came up and engaged a conversation, and he engaged back. Two years later, he went and made a movie that resembled the idea that a random person had given him. That person sued him. So it's one of these things where, hey, there is a law. Oh, and by the way, De Niro lost it, just so you know how that goes. If you, if an idea germinates from somebody that then gets expanded, there was a massive legal precedent, no, no matter how lazy it was, no matter how involved it was. Look, I'm not with the Winklevoss boys, quite frankly. Follow those guys all the time. I like them. They seem like nice. They, they were Olympians. They went and did this stuff for them. I like their ideas in crypto. I'm not with them against Zuckerberg. That was not their idea. They were not partners. I don't agree with that. I don't think that it's right that if Connor had mentioned something, it went out and turned to be a, a big idea that he gets a percentage. I mean, Artem. That's Chael's opinion. That street stuff. It's not what the laws say. Laws are pretty clear. And the laws go a little bit further in every single civilized nation in the world, of which Ireland is. You cannot intimidate a witness. If you intimidate a witness, you are going to have damages times three. Connor has now challenged the witness to a fight. There's no lawyer in the world worth their salt that's going to go, well, they're just boys. They're just jaha. You know, MMA guys will be MMA guys. No, they're not. He, he, he is now making a claim, and he has now been threatened by a multiple-time world champion publicly. Bodily harm, not to mention the embarrassment. If you're Connor's lawyer right now, you're really hoping that he puts down Twitter. versus Conor McGregor. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. As a matter of fact, let me go a step further. You have a better one. And it's hard to get them wrong when you go to Conor McGregor. Like, I'll, I'll always encounter somebody, whether it's a... And I appreciate these guys. If you're this guy, don't feel like a fool. But whether it's in person and, I, and I'm confronted with somebody, whether it's a DM or whether it's a 
A public message on something the kids call Twitter. It's always the guy with the bright idea that's the smartest guy in the room, and he knows what to draw, and he knows what will sell, and then it involves Conor McGregor. Like, you can't go wrong when it involves Conor McGregor. Patty the Batty was talking with ESPN. He said it's the biggest pay-per-view that you could put on. He's talking about himself versus Conor McGregor. And he said, but I, I don't see it happening. He looks pretty big right now. I think he's going to come back at 170 pounds. And I'm going, well, hold on. Let me, let me stop you right there. You look pretty big yourself. Would you not go up to 170 pounds to fight Conor McGregor? I mean, I thought it was a really interesting comment. I mean, it was, it was just Patty being candid, can, Patty being very fair and saying, I'm seeing pictures of Conor. He looks big. I just thought that that was quite rich coming from a guy they've renamed Fatty the Batty because he looks so big. And if the only thing stopping you from and Connor from fighting is 15 pounds, it sounds like there's nothing that would stop you and Connor from fighting. That was just my take. That was my take on that part of it. There, there was one bigger piece that speaks to a psychological element that I did take issue with, which is Patty the Batty said that would be the biggest pay-per-view that you could put on. Now, what that implies is that Patty versus Connor works. So that's a fight that you would want to see, that that's something that would bring people together, stop what they're doing and part with their money, right? Like there's a lot of things that go into drawing and selling and making of the big fights. And Patty's declaring this the biggest fight. Now, Patty has largely led a life where you could see how he could come to that conclusion. I'm just sharing. If Patty's going to fight Connor, who cares? You got two guys that can fight like hell. They're from the same area and they're pretty good with their mouths on the microphone leading into it. Yes, yes, Chael, that's what we have. Okay, who cares? What are you fighting for? Are you fighting for home turf? Are there people within your community and they think Connor's the baddest dude? You think it's Patty and we can explain that around. Is it anything like that? If it is, I'm, I'm in, but tell me the story. Do you guys have a personal beef. I know you're not fighting for championships, and I know that wouldn't be a number one contender fight. I know that this is going to be a fun fight. It's going to be something to do, and we don't have another idea in place. It's going to be at a weight class where you're both a little bit more comfortable. Who cares? What are you fighting for? And if you're of the mindset of, I don't have to fight for anything, I just have to fight and people want to see me do it, you would go into the category of a narcissist. And they're walking around amongst us. They're all over the place. You just want to be careful because that plan isn't sustainable. There's only a few athletes in the history of time who possess something that people want to see and you can stop right there. Michael Jordan was one of them. Michael Jordan could be in the championship game meaning he and his team are taking on the second best thing out there. He could be in that, but he could also be playing some scrub. If it was Jordan, man, people were coming out. Didn't matter if they knew the result. Didn't matter if they knew the outcome. Didn't matter if he was going to score 100 points and the other guy was going to score four. They wanted to see him. They want to see the tang, tongue hanging out. They want to see that ball. They want to see him flying through the air. There was just things about Jordan. They want to see the celebration. Guys, I'm going back to the 80s, and some of you don't even know who I just referenced. Some of you literally don't know who this Jordan person I just referenced is. Okay, great. I think you're seeing it today to a to another extent. I think that LeBron has that. And I think that we could even support that because LeBron was hurt for a period of time. Ratings across the board in the NBA went down 40%. Like you really needed to have LeBron. I think LeBron would fit that. 
but it's rare. It's just a very, very rare athlete. Floyd Mayweather would be real close to that category is what you think and is the way the story is written. And it's something that you all believe. Floyd worked extremely hard to make sure that he had people tuning in. I don't know if I've seen anybody in sport work harder than Floyd to give the appearance that he didn't try at all. Like I've seen that in fashion many times. I've seen a guy come out in like a t-shirt and his hair is all a mess and he hasn't shaved. But if you knew what was going on, that hair is gelled and was done by a stylist to make it look like he had bedhead. That t-shirt cost $340 and he had it tailor fit. And that beard that you think is the way that he woke up after three days of not caring was manscaped with a one shield around, like there's, they work really, really hard to make it appear that they're not trying at all. There's nothing wrong with it. I just share with you in the world of sport, if you think that people are going to come because your name Patty and his name's Connor, because you do MMA and he does MMA, do you think less people are going to come because you did it at 155 pounds as opposed to 170 pounds? None of those things have anything to do with anything. And if you want to put Patty and Connor together, great. You got a real good story there, right? You got the absolute old dog veteran in Connor who's possibly going to be passing the torch or he's going to cling to it. And generally, the guy trying to cling ends up having it taken from him. I get that, but not every time. I'll offer you Canelo Alvarez at 21 years old. I'll offer you Floyd Mayweather as the opponent, 36 years old. It's a 12-round beaten. Those judges stole rounds and tried to make it close, and they still came to a conclusion of 10-2. to 2. It was a 12-round dominant beaten by Floyd. So every now and then, that does stay alive, and it gives you hope, and it gives you hope for the next time. It's not a bad story. I, I, I don't disagree. But if those two don't have a beef, if they don't have a reason for fighting, why are they? And why would Patty think that we would watch it? Why would he think that we would watch it in record numbers? Is there a misunderstanding of the business? Is there a misunderstanding of the psychology of the fan? Or, or, or is there a narcissism that people just want to see what he has to do? Is there a more clearer understanding of, hey, I've sold a whole lot of tickets and got one hell of a reception and nobody knows who my opponents have been, so chill, I am in that category. Oh, and by the way, whatever Connor does is massive, so if you put them together, Bob's your uncle. Oh, that's not a bad point. Like, I'll stand back. That's not a bad point. I thought we were fighting about something else. I thought we were fighting about the idea that you as a star versus another star works on its face without us having any principal reason as to why we're fighting. And if you don't have an organic reason as to why you're fighting, there is a way a promoter can solve it. There's something called a belt. He'll throw it out there and people will dedicate their life to go and get that belt. But we're not going to do that. We're not doing it with the promoter's help and we're not doing it with the belt. We're going to do it based on you guys and the only commodity that you have to offer, which is your performance. Why are you guys fighting? Why would you fight? Why would you fight Connor? Connor, do something. Connor, say something. Connor, get under your skin. Something around town, something on social media, I'll, I'll take absolutely anything. I will not take that you're fighting Connor and Connor's fighting you, and therefore I should care.
close out today's program, Aljo Sterling tells us he knows who he's going to be fighting next. We've been talking about 135 pounds a lot recently, and I would like to weigh in. Aljo versus Henry going down in March. Now, I got to tell you, and I say I say this purely to be funny, but I hope that you guys do find the humor in this because this has been going on for two months. For two months, every fight that is ever going to happen is happening in March. I don't know why that vernacular is out there. And I'm talking about all of them. We're going to redo Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards. And guess when we're going to do it in March? We're going to get Francis back and he's going to fight with this opponent or this opponent, guess when we're going to do it? We're going to do it in March. Like, this this is never end. We're going to do Kobe and we're going to do Chemaya. Well, when are we going to do it? We're going to do it in March. Like, this has just never ended. And now we're going to do Cejudo and we're going to do Aljo and we're going to do it in March. Now, don't put anything on the March. Maybe it actually is going to be in March. But there is something that's somewhat humorous about that idea. But I want to tell you how we got here. So, Aljo very early on. Aljo's a great story. It was a great story and it played out right in front of us. And then our minds are so short-term, I feel like we lost it. Like, I'll just give you an example. Aljo Sterling comes over to the UFC and he has a couple of fights. And when I say a couple, it might have been one. He has, he has a fight or he has two and he refuses to come back. He's going to renegotiate with the UFC. I mean, he was like putting his foot down back then to the point that we didn't know who Aljo was. We weren't familiar with Aljo. And the number one thing we knew about him is some guy named Aljo's fighting with the UFC. Oh, by the way, he won. UFC agreed. Hey man, you, you got something more special than when we sat down the first, but he goes from here, right? I'm going way back, but this was the very start of Aljo's career. So he works his way through and it wasn't smooth sailing. There was times when it went against him and you think, okay, that little journey's over. And he always got back on the horse. He always dealt with adversity. He always found a way. Like Aljo's one of these guys that always finds a way to move forward. And time is an interesting thing. You, you, there's a big place and you'll see people that get stuck in the cracks. You're still people that, that are stuck on yesterday. You've got to be going one direction at all times. And you got to force yourself sometimes. Everybody gets down. Everybody gets depressed. Everybody gets defeated. You got to force yourself that you only go one way, which is forward. Aljo always does. I don't see him get credit for it. So anyway, Aljo rises up to the tops. This is a main event guy. This is a top contender. Next thing you know, he's a world champion. Everybody takes it away from him. They couldn't believe that Aljo was a world champion. They couldn't believe that this guy who a fight in or two fights in and renegotiated with the UFC, otherwise he was going to walk away today. They can't believe it turned out he was as good as he said he was. So we just took it away from him. We knew that he had the belt, but we took it from him, right? We took it in the media, and I ah, shouldn't have had the belt, and that was a bad call, and disqualifications, no way to be champion. Like, we did anything that we could reasonably do to resist the idea that this guy is as good as he promised his, he was one or two fights into the organization. So now we're forced to accept it because he wins in dominant fashion. Gets Demetrius Johnson coming. I just saw this beautiful piece, Demetrius, talking to Joe Rogan. And Demetrius put Aljo over, and he said, man, that guy is a backpack. If Aljo gets on to, Aljo will close distance, get you, I'm trying to copy Demetrius, right? The great Demetrius, but it was, he's going to take distance away. He's going to get you to the ground. He's going to get your back, and you're never going to get him off. Now, that might sound straightforward, but when you get the potential goat in Demetrius to come out publicly and talk about how special you are, okay. So, Aljo's got his beef, and it looks like that's 
somewhere we can stay for a while. And that's with Peter Young. We're going to stay there for a while. And then we get Dillashaw back. Okay, great. You, you, we have to go with Dillashaw. And it appears that O'Malley is hot on his tail. In the wake of all of this happening, including the rise of Sean O'Malley, in the wake of all of this, we get a call out from Triple C. But Triple C spreads it around a little bit. Triple C was very serious when he wanted to do a super fight at a catch weight with Conor McGregor. He was very serious about that. He was very serious when he wanted to get in there at 145 pounds and fight Volkanovski. For a moment, Henry started looking in the direction of Max Holloway. You guys might remember that, but he was very serious. And ultimately, he ends up at 135 pounds. Now, that's Henry returning for the championship that he never lost. I like that story. I've always liked it when guys have done that. Josh Barnett returned to heavyweight, but it was to pursue a championship that he never lost. He was never beaten for it. It was done in the paperwork. He handed it back. Whatever it was, he didn't get beat, so I just share with you. I Like, that story works for me. It didn't look like Henry was going to get it. It didn't look like Henry was going to get it. Aljo wasn't super big of the idea. I don't think that Aljo ever had anything against Henry. I don't think that Aljo wanted to make himself look vulnerable by taking the bait of Henry Cejudo. If and when he's ever even going to come back, he appears that he's going to come back, if and when, at a different weight class. Okay, great. So it wasn't overly done. And then Dana White was all but dismissive of it. Dismissive of Henry returning for a championship fight might even be a higher level than Dana was. Dana didn't speak on it. If Dana spoke on it and said no, that would be dismissive. It, it seemed to be even lower than that. Dana was very quiet about it. And I'm just sharing with you, it began to look for us, the audience, like this wasn't going to happen. Okay, let me take you to the press conference. In Abu Dhabi, after Aljo successfully defends against Dillashaw, because Dana White got asked at the press conference, what's next for Sterling? And out of nowhere. I mean, really, what, what seemed and felt for that moment to be out of nowhere, Dana said, Cejudo's probably next. And he was very light on it. Dana formed the answer almost in the form of a question. Cejudo's probably next? Like a question mark, but it wasn't a question mark. It was a statement. And then Dana even turned to the audience and said, what do you want to see him do? You want to see him fight Cejudo? Whoever he said it to wasn't on camera, but the guy must have nodded in the affirmative because Dana goes, all right, well, there you go. And he moved on to the next thing. Like it was this really light thing that Dana just took out of his pocket and sat down. It was a really light thing, but not, not in those guys' lives. That's a mass, that's huge. Am I fi I'm fighting Aljo next? Okay, Aljo, I'm, I'm fighting against Triple C. The great champion who left the division, left this behind, and I came and picked it up, and people put a little asterisk next to my, to my name, the same way as they did Daniel Cormier and John Jones' absent. I mean, is that the guy? I'm going to fight this guy? This is real? This is going to happen? Yeah, I think so. I think it is. Ali Abdelaziz came out on Henry's side three days ago and said that these guys were going to fight in March. Henry came out and said, we're going to fight. It's going to be soon. I think it's going to be March. And now Aljo has come out and said that we're going to fight in March. So when you have Henry and you have Ali saying it, like those are really good sources, but you can also see where they would really want something to be accurate information. When Aljo comes out and says it, when the fellow competitors and contestants and contenders at that weight class 
shut their mouths and stand back. It appears that we have something here. And Aljo versus Cejudo's got a lot of moving parts. It really does. Aljo's way better than we knew that he was. That includes when he was champion of the world. When he was the champion of the world and the best, we still didn't know how good he was. And then he showed us there's a gap. Not only the best, there is a gap. I'll spot Yawn two rounds and I'll still beat him. I will dominate Dillashaw. There's a gap. I'll take on Suhudo. There's a gap. But there was a gap when Henry was there too. Henry fought for a world championship and was all done in less than 20 seconds one time. I mean, there, there's a gap with Henry as well. Henry's last fight was against Dominic Cruz, who's as good as anybody that's ever done the sport. Henry won the round that was completed and stopped the fight. There was a gap. It really seems like the right match. I want you guys to be excited about it. I know before you get excited, you have to know that it's going to happen. I know Dana hasn't announced that it happened, but I'm here to tell you that Henry did, and so did Aljo. Seems to me like we've got a fight. And apparently, wouldn't you know, it's going to be a march. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want more from me, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Enjoy One Championship. It's on tonight on Amazon Prime. Enjoy UFC Orlando. And then come back next Tuesday for more from me. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome.